0: good morning to each one this morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' precious name. and I was have been blessed being here this morning so far and worshiping with you. We had a very nice Sunday school hour, and I, I did enjoy that. Thank you, too, for the kind words that have different of you have shared. I appreciate them, along with your prayers. For a message this morning, I've felt led to share one on brotherly love, and it isn't because I feel that maybe you are struggling in this area, but I just want to share it in a way to encourage each of you in this area. It is a good reminder for me, and um, as I share, um, I will share that, um, that it was something that I thought of more recently in the past couple months the importance of showing brotherly love and um, I just want to encourage each each of us in that this phrase let brotherly love continue is what I entitled the message comes from Hebrews 13 and we won't be looking at many verses in this passage but um, I will read the first three verses 13 says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. The NIV says, There for the first verse, says, Keep on loving. Each other as brothers. It's a continuation. We need to continue to show love and demonstrate love to one another. I have no doubt that there is plenty and a lot of love here this morning, that you do love one another. But how about the stranger? That second verse says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. Do we show love to those that we don't know? I guess that is where I have somewhat been challenged in that, is how loving, how kind am I to those that I do not know? You know, it might be somewhat easy. It's a lot easier to have brotherly love for those here in in our congregation towards our brothers and sisters. But how easy is is it to show love to the stranger In talking about brotherly love you know Satan doesn't like when there is peace and harmony in our churches when we have love in the brotherhood or even when we have love for the strangers he opposes that and he tempts us in various ways he loves when instead of love and harmony that when there is jealousy and envy and strife among us that's what he wants But that's not what God wants. We're very familiar with the verses in 1 Corinthians 13 as we think about having love. The very first verse says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And to me, that doesn't sound very pretty. Just the thought of that, just something just making some noise. We might have all the right speech, we might have all the right things to say, but is the love truly genuine from our heart? It says there, we may speak with tongues of men, may speak with tongues of angels. So to me, that sounds like we would be speaking correctly. But is there really love? If there isn't, then it is just an empty sound. As I was studying for this, I came across a a section in my one Bible that kind of divided brotherly love or or love into a couple different categories and gave some verses for them. So I'm just going to share them here this morning. There's impartial love, and we can see that in Deuteronomy 10.19. It says, Love ye therefore the stranger, or the sojourner, the stranger, for... Ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So God was reminding the children of Israel to love the stranger, to care for them. So impartial love. Unselfish love, Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And what follows that? And the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What comes to mind when you think about true love? One de- definition from the Webster's says unselfish, loyal and benevolent concern for the good of another. Loyal and be- unselfish, loyal and benevolent concern for the good of another. Is that the type of love that we demonstrate? Is that what people see in us? A love like that. It gave some illustrations. It says, the fatherly concern of God for human mankind. And we know what that was like. He was willing to send his son for you and I. Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the type of love he had. Is that the type of love we demonstrate? A second example they Shared is brotherly concern for others. Do you, do I truly care about those around me or us? Or are we only looking out for self? Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith, We know what that verse means. We're to show goodness, kindness, love to everyone, but especially to our brothers and sisters in the church. I already mentioned that God has demonstrated his love to us. And so I have an acrostic here that shows us reminds us of God's love, using the word love, and then some words that go with it. So I'll just hang this up, and I don't know. This church is a lot bigger than some, but um, you might not even be able to hardly see it or read it. But the L stands for limitless. God's love is limitless. And a verse that goes with that, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. So his love is limitless. What type of love do we show or demonstrate or have toward others? Is our love limitless? Or is it only when we're receiving or being loved that we can love back? God's love is others-centered. And I think I mistyped there. It says other instead of others. John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's thinking of others. That's what Christ did for us. That's what God was willing to do in sending his Son. Thinking of others. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us God's love is virtuous Romans 12:9 Let love be without dissimulation abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another And his love is enduring Psalm 100 Verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. His truth, his love endureth to all generations. As I mentioned before, I'm sure you all are demonstrating brotherly love to one another. There's a lot of love here amongst you. And that's good. But I have to think of a verse in Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And um, that might not be taking, ta- talking necessarily about love. But sometimes we do become weary. Sometimes our love isn't limitless. or others first, giving others priority. One of the reasons for sharing this message that I was inspired to put this message together, felt led to, is a number of months ago, there was a couple that came to Mabel to share their testimony their names were John and Tammy Mills. I'm not sure if any of y'all were there that evening. And I was very challenged by their testimony on some of the reasons that drew them to the Mennonite church. They didn't, weren't raised that way. And he began sharing his testimony talking about a man from the New Testament named Gaius. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with Gaius in the New Testament. I couldn't recall much about him. And there's not a whole lot said about him. But this brother John Mills said there were a whole lot of Gaiuses that ministered to them as they were searching. And I'm going to go to um, 3 John. And here we read a little bit about Gaius and what he did for the brothers. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and it doesn't talk a whole lot about love in here, but we see some of the things that that he demonstrated, the kindness that he's shown. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in, good, be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth, that in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a good sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the, get, of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So John's writing to this brother, this um, Brother Gaius, and he's telling him, Thank you for what he's doing, and also encouraging him. And we see especially in five and six, while it don't state a whole lot of detail, it said, Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, and these people, in verse six, have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort thou shalt do well." So what it appears, what I gleaned from this, and a little bit what our brother shared in his testimony, is Gaius was doing well, and it seems like he was hosting the strangers that came, maybe some of the apostles and so on. Um, There is a Gaius also mentioned in Romans, I believe, and I'm not sure that it's the same person, but he's doing exactly the same type of thing. In Romans 16, 23, it says, Gaius, my, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erestus, um, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. Sorry, I think I copied a little bit the wrong thing. But in Romans 16, there must have been maybe verse 22. Um, it talks about him hosting the apostles and taking care of them. And one commentator shared, speaking of Gaius, he is here called not only the host, but also, um, sorry, yeah, but also of the whole church. That is, he received and lodged the apostles who came from different places, as well as the messengers of the church. They all made his house their home. So as visiting speakers came, where the apostles came, they knew they could find a place at Gaius. And he must have been a person of considerable property to be able to bear this expense and of much piety and love to the cause of Christ, else he had not employed that property in this way. So we see a man that is dedicated to Christ, dedicated to helping the brothers and sisters, whoever came, and he would host them. And what Brother John shared in his testimony was a little bit different than that, but it was of the same mind as there were many people that ministered to John and Tammy. And we might call it, say some of the things that these people did were simple things. And he gave a few examples. He said that um, one time they were at a restaurant, and this is why... John and Tammy were, were seeking, they were reading scripture, they were trying to decide how God wanted them to live and, and were changing the style of their dress and so on. And a Christian, another Christian couple that was at the restaurant came past and commended them for the, the way they, they were dressed and possibly for, for prayer. I, I don't recall exactly all the details, but they were given encouragement by that Christian couple. And this meant very much to John and Tammy. Also, they had taken their family to the beach. And there at the beach, as they were walking out to the water to enjoy the the scenery there, there was another Christian couple out there. And that couple came and talked to them and expressed interest in them. And they had an enjoyable time. And he said a year later, and I'm not sure how much they stayed in contact with each other. It appeared like not a whole lot um, during the year. And he said a year later they went back and here that very same couple was there again and was a real encouragement to them. Again, I say it seems like little things. But yet, how easy or how quickly do we take the time to notice someone, someone that is trying to do right, and we encourage them. In his notes that John had brought along there to when he was sharing his testimony, he had a a card that was taped on his notes that he opened up and I believe he read it to us of another family that had sent a card to them that encouraged them to keep on raising their family right and to to do what what is right. And what was interesting is A number of these families that were encouraging John and Tammy were from various congregations. It wasn't like John and Tammy were attending this one congregation and those people were the ones that were giving them encouragement. It wasn't that way that I understood. It was different people in South Atlantic Conference. It was um, just various people that noticed them, and I don't even know how how well they knew them, but they just offered encouragement. He had a few other notes that he had brought along from other people that sat down and and had sent them mail to offer encouragement. And that all challenged me. Like I said, some of these things aren't extremely difficult or hard to do, but it takes time. And to sit down and write a letter or, or a note, when you see someone that is striving to do what is right, is trying to learn and do what God wants, how quickly, how often do we encourage people like that? Well, probably the thing that stood out almost the most to me in his testimony as he was sharing was that even though different of these families encouraged this couple, in various ways and they definitely appreciate him because he still had those letters and so on he said it still took eight years before they decided to become members of that congregation down there in Floyd and this is if I remember the details correctly but that's what I recall and that made me stop and think when we have someone new coming to church whether it's our friend or a friend of one of our brothers that invites someone to church. You know, it's exciting to go and visit with those people and to see, to learn about them, to show interest in their lives. And when they show up the next Sunday and they come back for a couple more Sundays, it's exciting. It's good to see people that are interested in learning about Christ. But after they've been coming for a year, do we still show interest? Do we still care? Or what about after three years? Are we still that same type of um, person that cares and shows love and interest? Or do we figure that, well, they've been coming long enough, they know who to go to and ask questions. We kind of have our own set of friends that we like to visit with. Maybe they can find their own. How do we respond to these type of people? Do we still have interests? Do we still show them love? A couple of months ago, a brother and I were talking in another congregation, and he has a friend that's divorced, but realizes that this friend has come to church some and realizes what the, what God teaches, what the scriptures teach on divorce and remarriage. And this brother that I was talking to, he said, we expect people like that to obey scripture, and they should, that's what they should do. But are we there for those type of people when they come home to an empty house? How open are we to inviting them over and showing them that we care? How open are we to being their friends when they don't have anyone anymore? Or do we expect them just to figure out how to do it on their own and to go on? And just soon after that, I read this quote about a new Christian, a quote from a new Christian. And it was in a book I read, so I don't, I don't personally know the person. But he stated something kind of similar to what that brother shared with me. He said, you know, the only thing I miss from before he became a Christian is the fellowship I used to have with all the guys down at the tavern. What is our responsibility to these type of people? When a new Christian comes in or or someone that shows interest, are we willing to step outside our comfort zone and go to those people and really, truly, genuinely be interested in their lives and be their friends, or are we just going to let them figure out how to make friends on their own? Are we too caught up in our own friends that we don't have time for them? You know, God has given each of us a desire to have friends. And if a new Christian can't find friends in the church, what is he going to do? I believe he'll be tempted to go back and spend a lot of time with his old friends if if he don't find us being friendly, and including them in our lives. So let's remember to do what so many people did for John and Tammy, and be faithful people showing genuine interest, genuine love, love and investing time into those people that we meet who are searching for the truth. If you would like, you can turn with me to Acts 9. There's a very familiar account here. And I think it illustrates what I'm trying to share. I'm sure most all of you know this story and are very familiar with what it says, but I'm going to take the time to read it and you can notice with me the different accounts in here of brothers that showed genuine love for others for the stranger. Acts 9, starting at verse 10, we'll read through verse 30. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest as thou camest hath sent me that thou might mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately there fell from his eyes as it were had been scales and he received sight. Forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on, the name of Jer- which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying a weight was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then, did, excuse me, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Again, a familiar passage. And here we see Ananias being called by God to go do a difficult task. He says, Arise and go and put your hands on Ananias that he I mean on on Saul, that he may receive his sight. Ananias knows who this man is. He knows the potential that this man has and what he had come to Damascus to do. Verses one and two. Point that out very clearly, Saul's intentions. He had come to find Christians and take them bound back to Jerusalem. But notice what God says to Ananias in verse twelve. It says And Saul speaking of Saul, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him. That he might receive his sight. Saul had already seen this vision. <clears throat> he knew what to expect. He was looking for Ananias. And it appears that that he already had that vision before God even asked Ananias to go. What was God indicating here? That he had already prepared the way. Yet at the same time, he expected Ananias and needed Ananias to step forward in faith and love to talk to Saul. And I had to wonder in my own life, how many times have I stepped around people that God has put directly in my path? God had already prepared the way for Ananias to talk to Saul. He had already told Saul that Ananias is coming. How have I done? Do I step around people that seem uncomfortable to be with? We can, we can be good at coming up with excuses why we shouldn't stop and visit with different people. But this really makes me stop and think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, another very familiar story that Jesus told. There was a person that it was very apparent he had a physical need, and yet the godly people walked around him. They knew of the need. They knew they could help probably, but they chose to bypass, to go around. In this account, Ananias has an excuse why he shouldn't go. But notice God's response to that excuse in verse 15. He says, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. What do you think went through Ananias' mind? A chosen vessel? Wasn't Ananias himself the chosen vessel? Yes, Ananias was called to a work. He was someone that God could use, but God was also calling Paul. And I wonder, do we at times sometimes fail to see the chosen vessels around us that God has called and wants us to show love and encouragement to? Do you think Paul looked very much like a chosen vessel when Ananias got there? Paul saw, he couldn't, even, he couldn't even see at this point, yet God had called him. I believe we at times can fail to see chosen vessels, but I think if we can look at them with the love that God has, a love that is limitless, a love that is other-centered, a love that is virtuous. and eternal. Maybe that will help us to see others with a different perspective. Now notice Ananias' response here, and this blesses me so much in verse 17. So Ananias goes and he finds Saul. And when he enters into his house, he puts his hand on him and says, What? Brother Saul. You know, just before this, he really didn't want to go because he knew Saul's previous history. And maybe we know the previous history of other people around us. But once they have surrendered their life to God, how do we respond? Can we do what Ananias did here and put our arm around them and call them a brother and really care? You know, I really don't think that Saul had any doubt in his mind that Ananias cared for him. I think when Ananias got there, Saul believed and knew there was a love and care, a genuine love and care that Ananias had. When God asks us to go and visit and we are really fearful, or we think we're too busy, or whatever excuse we come up with. But then we finally go, how do we conduct ourselves? Are we pretty reluctant? Does that person know that, well, we really don't care, or we wish we weren't here? I believe Saul could sense that Ananias cared and loved him. John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Let's skip on down to verses 26 and 27. We, We read the story here, what happened in Damascus and how the Jews there wanted to kill Paul already for his preaching. Paul wasn't even a Christian that long, but he already was hated. And so he escapes and goes to Jerusalem where a lot of Christians are, or more Christians are. And it says that he wanted to join himself to the disciples there. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. How often do we judge people and hold them at arm's length because of their actions before they became a Christian? The things that they did or the reputation that they had, do we continue to remember those things even once they have repented? Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the Apostles And declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. How did Barnabas know this? Was Barnabas in Damascus? Or did Ananias call him on the telephone and told him? Are you a Barnabas? Are you willing to get close enough to a new Christian to listen to their story and hear how God has changed their life and then put your reputation on the line by saying, listen brothers listen to this person's testimony listen to what God has really done in his life how far does your faith how far does my faith take us How far does God want you to go or want us to go to show love to the needy around us? And along with that, how long are we willing to continue to show love and care and interest in these people's lives that God has placed in our life? This reminds me a little bit of a testimony of a couple that came down to Puerto Rico they were on vacation. They were from here in the States, not from this area. And they had 10 children or 12 children. They had quite a few children. And he was a roofer, and where he lived, they received a lot of snow, so they didn't have a lot of work in the winter. So he would take his family to different mission places um, and part of the winter there with them. They were homeschooling their children and so they could do that. And he was telling us how when they first showed up in a Mennonite church, they were in shorts and in, in, in a tank top and they felt quite out of place, obviously. And they continued to, to grow and to read scripture and, and I don't remember all the details. But they still very much felt like people held them at arm's length at the congregation they wanted to be members at. And again, this is just sharing his side of the story. I don't know all the details. But that did bother me. That yes, he was different. He was different in Puerto Rico. He loved to witness. He loved to pass out tracts to people. And just one ill—I mean, he often wanted to go out and pass out tracts. He even. Um, he asked if he could go out with us at church and and do it and even though he didn't know Spanish but he he didn't care he could still hand a track out and he had tracks with him most all the time and uh, he, they invited us back to the place they were renting where they were staying an hour from where we lived. and directions there were a little difficult sometimes to know exactly how to find the exact place where they were at they were living in a development her staying in a development, and he said, "I'll I'll meet you down at the main road." So he met us, and we were following him up through this development, and it was just real—not um, much traffic on the streets. So there was a skateboarder coming down the hill towards us on the opposite side of the road, but just a skateboarder coming towards us, and we were following this this brother in his van, and. He just loved to pass out tracks. And he had one with him, and, and we watched him as he held it way out the window like this as a skateboarder comes by. And that skateboarder just comes by and just grabs that track and just keeps on going. I mean, he didn't know what he was getting, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, it just impressed me that how, how much love, how much care, how concerned am I for those lost people out there that don't know. But yet at the same time, this, this family just felt that they didn't really feel that love and connection, acceptance, because they were, had such a different background than everybody else at church. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Are your actions reflecting the love of God? Is it a limitless love? And we can't necessarily have a love exactly like that. We do have limits, God doesn't. But yet, how much love do we have? Is our love other-centered? Is it virtuous? Is it enduring? Is this the brotherly love that we are exemplifying? May the Lord bless you richly as you continue to show brotherly love one toward another. And I'll turn the service back over to our brother.